Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Here with me from London is Brian Gottlieb. How's the trip been so far, my friends? I am very much enjoying myself. Besides my seemingly never-ending battle with jet lag, everything has been fantastic. Although I will say we are recording this at about 9 a.m. London time. I got a good like six, seven hours last night. So it started, it's starting to feel like I'm turning the corner in regards to my jet lag. Going to go out, go to some museums and stuff today. Had a great meal in London last night. Went out with my wife. We had a really nice dinner. So everything has been very good. Thank you for asking, Gerald. Wonderful. Yeah, dude. 9 a.m. your time, 1 a.m. my time, peak Jerry hours. It's great. If we could podcast at 1 a.m. every time, I'd be super down for that. Yeah, maybe I just have to move to London. I mean, this is basically the most on-point timing for both of us we have ever found because you tend to stay up much later than I do. I wake up earlier than you do. Usually, we find our sweet spot right in the afternoon, like three in the afternoon is our go-to recording time, but this works too. Yeah, it's it's tough, even though we're you know 20 minutes away from each other. You know, we're in the same time zone, but like don't really keep the same hour. So it's kind of awkward. But, you know, I, I blame me mostly. Well, we make it work. We find a way to put out that Arena Decklist content every single week. Lots of content this week. YouTube stuff. You doing all kinds of stuff over on the YouTube page in the past few days. Yeah, I probably got to record some more content either today or tomorrow, too. So that's a good reminder. But actually, this kind of ties in. So, like, I knew that we were doing the podcast at night, right? Mm-hmm. And I finished my article early. Wednesday's normally article podcast day, and I'm just swamped. But I finished that early, so I had a few hours. You know what I did? What did you do? I built some Pioneer decks to bring to Command Fest DC. And a few weeks ago, I talked to some folks who kind of knew the format existed, knew what cards were legal and stuff, but they're like, they hadn't really thought about like what sort of decks they could play. And so I was asking a couple of people like what their favorite decks were and it's just on me to like build updated versions of those decks and like try and show people a good time. So like I'm building a lot of tier two for pioneer and it's dope. This sounds really cool. So basically you're just taking people's personal preferences and trying to work them into something new for the new format, right? Yeah. Anything really spicy thus far? What's, what's your favorite? Well, you know, some of it is like stuff I built myself. Some of it, like one of the things I'm working on is uh just guy tokens, which was a thing I messed with at the very beginning stages of the format before it was very clear that the the format was like a little bit more powerful than that. Yep. But I feel like uh, Young Pyromancer, Goblin Rabble Master, Stoke the Flames, Just Guy Ascendancy, that sort of thing is going to be pretty cool. And then uh, the deck that I just leaved up before recording this is Fires of Invention Planeswalkers, which is also sweet. Yeah, Fires is going to do something in that format. Can't wait to figure out exactly what it is, but that sounds promising. I hope you put together lots of YouTube content on this stuff and people can go check that out. And obviously we're dealing with a post-ban format now, so I do think things have gotten more open. This is probably the right time to figure out if these tier two contenders can step up and be tier one in the new format. Yeah, a little more fair. And a lot of this is certainly bucket list consideration. We talked about the BNR on twitch monday and then that got posted to youtube a little bit later and i've been doing some bucket listy type stuff for pioneer yeah that's it's been going well i've been having a lot of fun just like building decks and i guess in in case of the last one splendid reclamation feel the dead got banned so maybe i'm doing something right yeah you got targeted obviously that was only to address the splendid reclamation menace that was surely coming to take over the format i started three on that league man deck was busted 
I, I think that deck is great. And uh, I was very impressed when I played it. And I also ordered foil splendid reclamations. I'm not going to lie. I have just gotten killed on these foils. I need to stop. I really need to stop. Like this is it. It's just not working out recently. And I, I know that like, I am not mad at anyone. I have been purchasing cards for a format that is very clearly unsettled. So it's all on right. me, but uh, yeah, yeah. Bad beats. To be fair, the once upon a time stuff, it's like, oh, this is good in standard too, and whammies, you know? You still have modern yep. though. Still have modern for now. I mean, I'm I'm not even sure that's going to last, so we'll have to see how that goes. Uh certainly much safer there. I, I'm not immediately worried, I will say. Yeah, I'm gonna be at Command Fest DC in the same weekend uh when Star City is running that. They're also doing the players championship. Did you mess around on, on Twitter at all? Did you see the tier lists? I did see the tier lists. What, do, so, do you have opinions on them? The tier lists are garbage. Okay. I, I think that, yeah, maybe they're not mean-spirited, but a lot of people probably did do them mean-spiritedly, if that's a word. I don't know. But it did lead to uh, me and Edgar having a nice conversation, which could become a podcast episode or something in the future, just as far as, like, I felt like a lot of people were ranking people how they thought – the people were just like in general. Mm -hmm. But I, one of the things I mentioned to Edgar was that like people should be ranking people on how good they are at playing against their peers because that's what this tournament is. It's not about, you know, like, can you leverage the fact that you are better than your opponent? Can you extract max value from them? It's like, are, how good are you at playing against good people? And I asked Edgar, Edgar that question because I was very curious and I knew that he would give me a pretty straight answer and he did. That is a great way of looking at it. And I, I think it matters a bunch. I mean, maybe my own bias shows here, but I have always said I play much better against good competition and I don't farm weaker competition. It's not something I do well. It's something that's lacking in my game. You and I have talked a bit about how to fix that and I am working on that, but there there is a difference for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think people just didn't really take that into consideration. Just the fact that like the tournament is hard and there are going to be people you know, like I, I think that there's maybe like three or four people I can think of where I'm like, I'm pretty sure this person is very good at it and they are the threats, you know, and that's that's just how it is. Sure thing. I, I think everyone has a chance to win this tournament, but I do, too. I, I think it was I think it was Abe Corgan who made the very salient point. I don't want to go too deep into these tier lists, but I will say he made a very good point that if Colin Roundtree is not high on your tier list, then you can pretty much throw the tier list out because they're just biased and focusing on players who have spent a lot of time on the SCG tour, but Roundtree should be near the top of any of those tier lists for sure. Yeah, Colin's gas. Not a lot of people know him, but like he he top eight of the Hunter Burton Memorial Open earlier this year. He won the Invitational. He top eight at a Grand Prix. Like he basically top eights like half the tournaments he shows up to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I have had the opportunity to see him play and just like hard read. He's very, very good at magic. Very sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's just he doesn't play in a ton of SCG events because he lives in Texas. Mm-hmm. So people people don't really know, man, and they just don't give him any res- any respect. And I think he's just going to love that. Yeah, they're going to learn. I'll tell you that. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, that'll be a fun tournament to watch. I don't know if we want to do anything specific for that tournament and like the format and the formats that people are going to be playing and stuff. Like maybe we could review the deck list or something. I feel like that would be kind of interesting. Yeah, that sounds like a good show. If you all listening have something in particular you'd like us to do around the Players' Championship, you can let us know and we can figure out exactly 
how to best prepare you for viewing that. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to watching it, uh, not commentating it. I'm sending this one out, but I will definitely be watching at home 100%. And another tournament coming up this weekend that I get to watch from home. Exciting times to be a Magic viewer right now. MC7. Yeah. It's seven, right? Not eight. You got it. It's it like is you, MC7. You, you put a bunch of slashes right next to each other, and I just can't tell how many it is. I mean, I guess in this case, it's only two, but it's still tough, man. Yeah, I I think we're nearing the end of this naming convention. Is that correct? Where we can get back to just naming things properly? Who could possibly know that? <laughs> okay, sorry. Impossible questions. Anyway, we waited uh, a little bit because we knew that the deck list and metagame breakdown and stuff would be up at this point. The metagame breakdown is, in fact, out you can go to magic.gg slash news, navigate that website if you if you dare. Otherwise, you can uh, just listen to us. Number one, you ready for this? I'm ready. Just Guy Fires, 18% of the field. Expected. I don't know if it's right, but this, yeah. this is what I expected. I expected Just Guy Fires to be the most played deck. I did not expect a lot of MPL players to pick this up. I expected this to be more of a challenger thing, and that's kind of what it looks like. It looks like it's five to seven, like five MPL mm-hmm. and seven challengers. And it's also sort of not the most played deck because Jund Sacrifice is 13% and Golgari Sacrifice is 10%, and those decks are pretty functionally similar. Yeah, it depends how you want to bucket them, but... That's a fair point. You can certainly put them together, especially now that a lot of the Jun sacrifice decks are just picking up casualties of war as the top end. And I think that's correct, by the way. It's funny. I think it was Autumn who messaged me over in our Discord um, and was talking about how we just failed to mention, like, you could just play casualties in Jun list. We talked about it as very much a dichotomy. Either you play Jund or you play casualties of war. And now that the Jun list have picked up casualties of war, and I think correctly so, I like the way they are set up for this tournament, for sure. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I I guess we didn't mention that explicitly. I guess it was just like, well, you have Mayhem Devil and you have Corvold, and like these are the powerful mirror-ish sort of breakers to the point where maybe you don't need casualties. But yeah, obviously it's a consideration. Mm-hmm. And it has proven to be so. Well, we're going to go through each and every deck list, so we will talk about the players who chose to do so, but it seems like that was the MPL slant on this deck in a lot of instances, although I want to talk about BBD's list, too, when we get there. He took an interesting approach. Whoa, whoa, you looked at the list already? Oh, I looked at the list. Dude. You're going in blind? You just woke up. Well, it's the first thing I did when I woke up. Look, I take my job seriously. I got ready, I prepared, I made notes, I have huge, huge, like all the walls in my hotel room just covered in like the madman strings all over the place to understand exactly how this metagame works. Last time you wanted me to go in blind, so I went in blind this time too. We planned ahead for this podcast and for like the varying time zones and everything. And I just, I made the assumption that this is what we were going to do. Yeah, we didn't explicitly talk about how we were going to approach this. I don't know. I wanted to see the deck list. <laughs> what do you want from me? I got excited. I, did I wanted too. to see what we were playing. I did too. And instead, well, I just built Pioneer decks and just like twiddled my thumbs, you know? Now you get to be anyway, like a kid on Christmas opening your deck list for the first time. Oh, damn. All right. Uh, Jun Sack has six MPL, three challengers. The Golgari Sack deck is the flip side. Six challengers, one MPL. Is there anything you make of you know, whether or not MPL players or challengers are choosing one deck and not the other? I don't know. I think it's interesting on a outlier scale like when things swing really hard in one direction i at least want to consider why that is the case 
So something like Jun Sacrifice being represented two to one among MPL players versus challengers is interesting. Something like Golgari Sacrifice one to five or one to six represented anti-MPL players. That's really interesting. And then Simic Flash, three MPL players, only one other player in the tournament playing it. I think that is really interesting too, but only as like a starting talking point. I I don't believe that just points you to this is correct because these challengers are all very good at magic and they can make the correct call in instances where MPL players are making the wrong call. That is not a disqualified possibility. And I don't want to present it that way. Just the fact that MPL is leaning hard in this direction does not make it necessarily correct. It is interesting though, to think about how they could have gotten to that point. And a lot of it is like, a bunch of these players work together, right? So they reach the same conclusion and they all push in the same direction and that's how you get there. Yeah. And there's nothing more to take from it than that. But it's, it's worth mentioning and trying to understand how we got to this place. Well, see, the funny thing is, is I kind of believe the opposite where I feel like a lot of the challengers come in with zero biases mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of the situations. And MPL players would play a deck like Jeskai Fires and be like, oh, this deck is too inconsistent. I'm not going to play it. And to me, it's like you see a lot of the same stuff with like Junsack versus Golgari Sack where they're just like, well, I want I want the power and like all the good cards and I don't need to like slim my deck down for consistency's sake or whatever. But I think the challengers uh, and maybe like Crokies is leading a lot of this where it's like I don't actually need the third color. It does come at a cost. You know, the opportunity cost is certainly there. It is not that low. And he just found a way to be good against the other decks without needing that third color. So I think that there's like two distinct groups and, you know, the information cascades and like hive mind stuff is like happening within each of them. And Golgari Adventures, another example of this where like two MPL played it and six challengers played it where, yeah, I feel like that is again, like kind of like another streamer deck or like an arena deck. And then, uh, Simic Flash, Brad was at my place the day after Thanksgiving for like our Friendsgiving thing. And he showed me his deck list and basically told him that like Seth browbeated him into it or whatever. That's not exactly <laughs> what happened. It, it was it was just like basically he had no idea and not a ton of time. And Seth was just like, yeah, this. And like they started testing it and it was just like kind of beating everything. Brad is skeptical, but does think that it's possible that Seth broke it. Very interesting. We'll get into the specifics of that list as we talk about all of these. Yeah. Uh, Is it flash Four MPL two challenger Rakdos sack one MPL two challenger team erect three challenger Simic ramp two MPL one challenger Azorius control two MPL one challenger. And then I think there are some other straggler decks in there, but like all of them are less than 4%. So overall, like a pretty good mix of stuff. Yeah. It's interesting. I I look at this and I see a lot of deck types here, but I don't feel a ton of diversity in the format. And I don't know what to make of that. I mean, I, I think a lot of it is just like there's a ton of stuff built on the same engine and there's a lot of very similar archetypes working in the same space. And there is like a class of deck that is just completely excluded from this tournament for the most part. And that is just hard, aggressive decks. They're basically absent. All these decks have capabilities to lean in a more aggressive way and and slant themselves in that direction, but they aren't always doing that. And there's just no, there's no mono white, no mono red, nothing that's just strictly focused on getting your opponent dead as, as fast as possible. 
well, maybe maybe kind of spoilers. Like I said, I haven't looked through all the deck lists. I feel like there could be like a couple stragglers here and there playing aggressive decks, but you're telling me like literal zero? I think it's literal, literal zero, but maybe Damn. I am erasing one from my mind. I, I, I don't think so, though. There is like Rakdo Sacrifice deck that certainly slants hard aggressive, but I think that's it. I really do. Yeah, that's that's not great, man. I mean, that does open up the format to potentially getting hated on by you know one of the flash decks for example or maybe team reclamation if like people have found a good build for either of those decks Mm -hmm. so that makes it kind of interesting and then in theory if those decks do succeed and do do well then the format can actually churn a little bit with a comeback of aggressive decks but i don't know like when when does the next set come out i feel like we've had this crap forever we we must be i mean this has been a long long set we've been through a lot end of january end of january okay so we've still got another two months basically man it feels like this set has been here for so long i mean it's not it's not been bad it's definitely been interesting Uh, it's it's been bad it's been very bad (laughs) very bad there's so many bands how can you say it's not bad well so it is bad right i'm just saying that as a (laughs) you know glass half full no, definitely not. Definitely not. No, just like a, a, an observer, right? Like I'm not really participating a whole lot. Right. So it's not so much it's not bad. It hasn't been bad personally for you. I understand. That makes sense. Well, it is. I'm just saying that it, it has been interesting for me as an observer. And like, you know, granted, I quote unquote tested for a standard PT and was playing uh, a bunch of Pioneer and stuff. So, like, obviously there are shakeups and I've, like, kind of felt that. But, yeah, I mean, if, if I don't care too much or, like, put too much stake into my actual involvement in the tournaments, I basically do feel like an observer. And I'm just like, oh, like, every week there's, there's like, something new, you know? Yeah, it's been forced in a lot of occasions by these, these band calls. I will say it has made for pretty good content. And it's weird to look at things in this way. But... Uh, over on YouTube, nothing hits better than our videos talking about bands. There's nothing people want to hear about more. So it's yeah, it's, it's been farmable for us. I'll say that. Word. All right, decklist time. You ready? Let's do it. All right, we are we are going through the decklist again on Magic.gg. Appears to be alphabetical by first name somehow. So we get to start with Alexander Hain playing Esper Control. Huh. This list is wild. This is a wild, wild take on Esper Control. Was not anticipating this. It's something I worked on right after the bands because I did think it had potential. I am dying to hear Alex's thoughts on all of these cards. Literally every single card appearing in this deck. I want to know how he got this place. It's like three elite guard mage, one hero of Precinct 1. Then there's two Kenriths in the deck. Without access to red and green, obviously. Max yeah, and the there's, there's Bolus's Citadel. There's, there's Bolus's Citadel as well. Citadel Kenrith is nice. Yeah, good little combo there. Uh, I, I wonder how hard you're leaning on that. That's a good endgame. I mean, it seems, yeah, it seems like the endgame, right? It's like it if you get to play Kenrith for free off the top of your deck, you're going to have, you know, seven mana open. You get to gain 10 life if you have a bunch of spells in a row. You get to play all those spells. If not, you can pay four to draw a card. Like Kenrith Bolas' Citadel is actually really good. Yeah, there's life gain and spades in this deck. Oath of Kaya also being used as one of the key removal spells. Yeah, worth worth noting, 
zero copies of Kaya's Wrath. Alex does have three island and a Castle Vantress uh, that do not cast it. He has one time wipe, but no sweepers. And I think that makes a lot of sense, especially when we're talking about a format that basically does not have any aggressive decks. Yeah. Yeah, this is a really good read, like just spotting that there's no aggressive decks. I, I will say I'm not sure how hard you're punishing these like engine setups. Like one of the things that really appealed to me about Esper Control and why I wanted to push to try it was I still think Planner Cleansing is a really strong card. And look, if you're playing mm. Casualties of War, Planner Cleansing is just like ultra Casualties of War in a lot of instances. Alex, though, playing no copies of that card whatsoever. So a different approach, a different read on it. And with more creatures, you can understand why. And you do have your Bolas's Citadels. But uh, I am surprised by the absence of that card. This looks interesting, though. I want to see if Alex came up with something really special here. Yeah, uh, Alex leaning on Drown in the Lock, which I think is quite good. I mean, it, it gives you Counterspell Doomblade split card. It is a Counterspell that still does stuff if your opponent has a Teferi. And then... Alex also has a D-Spark main and three D-Sparks in the sideboard, which are super good against yeah. Jeskai Fires. Yeah, that card is strong. But, Another big pull towards Esper, I believe. Yeah, uh, it, it is kind of weird, though, where uh, you did well with the Dance of the Man's deck and had Disenchant because you forgot D-Spark was a card, right? Mm-hmm. And now Disenchant against like Witch's Oven and Trail of Crumbs actually seems legit, but like Alex has Sorcerer's Spyglass instead, so like also a pretty reasonable option. Yeah, when I was rebuilding Esper Dance, I actually ended up back with a disenchant in my deck, which if people followed my first foray into that deck, it was something I hated uh, the first time I played it. And I was like, well, wait, now I think it's actually correct. It was not then, but interesting how that has changed. Yeah, yeah. Alex's deck, and I mean, just Alex in general, I think is always a player to watch. But yeah, his, his deck is definitely interesting. I like him going off the beaten path, too. When I think of like how he first made his inroads, his deck choice was often very different from his peers. And then it feels like in recent times he has fallen in line a little bit more. So it's good to see him off taking his own path again. Yeah, top eighting Pro Tours with Tron and stuff. Mm-hmm. All right, next up, Alexander Steyer, Jeskai Fires, a lot of three ofs, uh, Cavalier of Flame, Fey Wishes, Cavalier of Gales, Sphinx of Foresight, Kenrith, Bonecrusher Giants, 27 land, couple Aether Gust main. I feel like Aether Gust main deck is largely going to be very good in this tournament. But, you know, then there are certain decks like Alex's Esper deck where it just doesn't do anything. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, I have a feeling it's probably only blank in like 10% of matchups, which I think that's enough where you're just safe playing it. One of the interesting... Yeah, agreed. One of the interesting splits between the Jeskai Fires lists are is the inclusion of Fae of Wishes. It seems like most people are of the school of passing on the card for the time being. Here you see Alexander Steyer still using the Fae of Wishes package in the sideboard. And this is painful for me to admit, but I would pass on Fae of Wishes right now. You know how much I love that card. It does not seem that you are getting the meaningful impact from your sideboard that you did previously. Uh, I would rather just have a functional sideboard in this metagame. And it's also interesting that Stayer's sideboard has Casualties of War, Chandra, Awakened Inferno, Solar Blaze, Time Wipe, and Planar Cleansing, just like a lot of different sweepers. Mm-hmm. And I guess like Liliana Dreadhorde General too. So two Sorcerer's Spyglass, two Mystical Dispute, basically like the only real sideboard cards, although you could certainly just board some of these cards in naturally. Right. But yeah, you you lose a lot of equity by doing that. And then things happen to the main deck where you just have to play like three of all of your creatures basically. And 
I, I find it hard to believe that that's right. Yeah, the creature slot looks really, really odd in this instance. I would prefer like a hard committal to, okay, this is the setup I'm looking for, not a little bit of everything. But we'll see how this differs from the other Jeskai Fires list as we move through those. Yep. Next up, Allison Mano, Golgari Adventures. Paradise Druid into Questing Beast, Thrashing Brontodon main deck. Love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, three Vivian, one Liliana, one Garrick, 25 land. Duress in the sideboard. Really like Drillbit in that slot. I know that a lot of people were like debating that up until the last minute. I, I do think that Drillbit is the call. But other than that, I mean, this deck looks solid. What do you think? I like that this deck, this version of this deck is committing more in one direction. I think there's really only two viable directions to take this deck at this point. It needs to look like Allison's deck where it's slanted a little bit more aggressive with Vivian Arcbow Ranger, or it needs to be built around Lucky Clover because the mid-range version of this deck in the absence of Lucky Clover, I think it doesn't keep pace anymore. Agreed. So, so pushing more aggressive is fine for me personally. I'm getting sold on the Lucky Clover versions. I think they have found a configuration that looks really good. And if I was playing Golgari Adventures, that's what I would play in this tournament. But this seems like a fine approach as well. Uh, worth noting, Allison Mano, green, black, zero copies of Casualties of War in the 75. Yeah, well, you're just leaning on your aggression, right? You have a way to push through damage with Vivian yeah. plus Questing Beast. And I think that's fine. You don't want to. You don't want to go long against the... Katov Index, that is your plan. Just get them dead. And as long as you're committed to that plan, that's fine. And we see the way Allison has built her deck is committed to that plan of aggression. Yep, exactly. And I I like that. I do think it's worth noting that that does not always have to be your plan. And just because the card is good in the format and you're green and black does not mean that you have to play it, especially if you have a plan to do something else. Mm -hmm. Flip side of things, Allie Warfield also playing Golgari Adventure, but with four Lucky Clover three casualties of war and doing like beanstalk giant smitten sword master chains with order of midnight. This is the other side of the equation. This is a version of the deck that I do think can play the long game successfully because you do generate so much value from your lucky clovers and you can go big with casualties of war. And I am fine with this approach to the archetype as well. Like I said, I'm getting more and more sold on lucky clover builds as time has gone on. They are just capable of doing really, really powerful stuff. And they function without your edge wall innkeeper. That was my biggest problem with the Golgari decks is that Jun Fires was so good at dealing with edge wall innkeeper. It was just never a factor. Now you have a second source of persistent advantage to lean on a little bit harder, plus your casualties of war set up. So I like this version of Golgari Adventures as well. I am completely on board with this being a strong pick for this tournament. Yep, me too. Uh, Next up, Andrea... Garion, Golgari Sacrifice, Three Casualties of War, main deck, uh, a lot of 25 land green black decks. You love to see it. Uh, Midnight Reaper, Master Girl, a couple Paradise Druid, again, main deck Thrashing Brontodon, four Duress in the sideboard, zero Drill Bits, hate it. I think I am willing to now write this off as a worse, worse version of the Jun decks. Uh, just a hard pass on it. I, I think you can do better. I think you get more and you aren't super incentivized to have these ultra clean mana bases. And you see the real, the only real pickup you get here is like Temple of Malady, which is a card I just don't like all that much, and Castle Lockthwain, which is good, but you can play a copy in your Jun deck if you really want to. But Jun being able to cast the same spells, still having the Casualties of War top end, I just think you're prepared for more stuff if you were set up in that fashion. 
Yeah, I know that you don't really like Midnight Reaper all that much, right? So you'd much prefer to have Mayhem Devil and maybe a lot of the same stuff going on as this deck? Yeah, it just seems stronger to me. I mean, th- there's games where Midnight Reaper seems absolutely unstoppable. I've certainly played them on both sides where it just spirals out of control. But you have a lot of engines that just spiral out of control. And I'd rather interact with my opponent a little bit more, prevent them from doing what they're attempting to do. All right, next up, Andre Mangucci, Simic Ramp. This is one of the more interesting decks we've seen so far. 28 land, two Arboreal Grazer. I guess without Once Upon a Time, you can't lean on that card as much. Uh, Leafkin Druid, Risen Reef, Hydroid Crisis, Cavalier of Thorns. Those are all four ofs. Nissa, Gross Spiral, a couple copies of Finale of Devastation, a couple copies of Quasi Duplicate, one Agent of Treachery, one End Raise Forerunners. I love this deck. I, I hope this is good. Like, this is my first exposure to specifically this build. Obviously, I've seen Cavalier of Thorns, Quasi Duplicate setups for a long time. This whole package of Finale of Devastation and still being a deck that can play Nyssa in a world where Noxious Grasp is like basically done for. Not seeing a whole lot of Noxious Grasps in this tournament. Like the last Golgari list we looked at, only one copy. Very far cry from the four Noxious Grasp format. This is probably the best Nissa deck, and Nissa still one of the best cards in all of Standard. I am very excited to put this together on Arena, play some games with it, and see exactly what it's capable of. I buy that this might just go over top of everything else going on in the format. And uh, this, if, if there's a deck that broke it, this looks like the closest thing to me. Like this, the thing that can just come out of left field and completely dominate the tournament, it could be this green blue deck. The thing that I like the most about this deck, and like I, I messed around with Agent of Treachery, Cavalier, Quasi-Duplicate stuff before when Field of the Dead was huge. Mm-hmm. And I really, really like being able to finale for one on turn three to get Grazer to excel you to five mana. Nice. Yeah, that's a nice little interaction. <laughs> this deck just seems sweet. It's going to put some huge, huge bodies on the battlefield. And the endgame of Enray's Forerunners is a neat little pickup where you just get to trample over everything. And we talked a bunch about how you have to have an endgame that can go through cat oven setups. I, I think Enray's Forerunners will get the job done here. And you get three virtual copies with your Finale of Devastation, plus quasi-duplicate setups that you can do. This deck looks awesome. I am very excited to see this in action. Yeah, I mean, also, like, Finale for 10 just kills them, almost always, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So... And raise four runners costs eight. So then you have it finale at 10 mana, but also you have it at 12 mana. And yeah, just a lot of ways to actually end the game, which is great. And you'll hit those mana thresholds very reliably in a world where Nyssa isn't dying all the time, which it will not. And Cavalier of Thorns, we know how high I've been on this card. Uh, The body here shuts down virtually everything in the format. Uh, Only the largest of core vaults can get over Cavalier of Thorns. So love, love, love this deck. Super nice job from Mangucci and who's the other person playing it I don't remember offhand we'll get to it I I still have my stack of Cavalier of Thorns too so like let's go make me rich I I sold mine very early on but uh I still have a few floating around well I can I can give you some of mine so that you're somewhat invested nice I like that idea yeah I, I think we're gonna have a good time rooting for this deck for sure yeah Risen Reef is one of those cards that was it like it fell out of favor right because you know, people doing the more proactive Oko Wicked Wolf stuff just kind of embarrassed it. Mm-hmm. And Mayhem Devil is also a card that is very good against Risen Reef. And now this deck against the Golgari decks, like you could probably just run away with the game with that card. Oh, yeah, for sure. Not 
not a whole lot of ways to get punished for playing that unless you're up against Jund. And I'm, I'm assuming there'll be some shift against Jund. Like, I don't know, maybe you can afford to keep in a couple copies just for like big snowball turns. But there's stuff like, mm, I guess we'll go like return to nature in post board games a lot of the time against them, which seems fine. Yeah, maybe some Aether Gust. I don't know. It doesn't seem like the sideboard is completely stacked against those decks, but I, I think you just might be naturally good against it, so you don't need a whole bunch of sideboard slots. Yeah, I, every si- every single card in your main deck seems great against them. Right. Anyway, moving on, Andrew Cunio, is it Flash for Bonecrusher Giant, Gadwick the Wizened, Brineborn Cutthroat, Brazen Borrower, 26 Land, handful of Counterspells, Ops, some Rails, Outbursts, and Scorching Dragonfires. Not a ton of removal, so... It, it looks like these players all knew that aggro decks were just not going to show up. Yeah, so that, to me, seems like the MPL read. Like, just really spotting that you don't have to account for aggro decks. And maybe that is a differentiating point between MPL and Challenger. Not to say a bunch of Challengers didn't reach that conclusion as well, but that is the biggest takeaway from the MPL decks we've seen thus far. Basically just giving up on those aggressive matchups, and correctly so. Yeah, I mean, in a lot of the Golgari decks, we're still seeing a lot of copies of things like Massacre Girl, which I think outside of random mirror scenarios are just like don't look very good in this tournament. But like when you're playing on ladder or something, if if that's how people were preparing, it would make sense that, you know, you're running into a much wider variety of decks. Like there are going to be some aggro decks at the top of ladder and you need to be a little bit more well-rounded. You can't make those hard reads like you can in a tournament. That's a little, little smaller like this one is. So mm-hmm. yeah, that, that could be kind of the turning point where it's like the MPL people are just like, all right, I'm going to cut removal for counter spells or whatever. And then maybe a lot of the challengers or just people playing Golgari or Jund in general have these things like Masker Girl that are not going to be very good. If you are ever lucky enough to participate in one of these tournaments, the biggest piece of advice I would give you is that small field tournament play does not equal ladder play. It is very different, and you have to think about how to account for that. I agree with that. Uh, next up, Andrew Smith. Or Hold on. What do you think about this as a deck in general? Because I played with this before. I didn't really like it very much. but Also have not really liked it. Having four Gadwick is an approach I've never taken before, and I think that's interesting in terms of being able to just play a huge late game uh, 26 lands so this deck continues to get bigger and bigger and is less tempo based more just like my spells are very good against you if what people are doing is trying to play six mana sorceries four mana enchantments this deck loaded with negate quench and ionize seems extremely extremely good against those kind of setups you get the appeal of these flash decks into that type of format so if you get the right matchups things look good and there's a ton of the right matchups in this format. I still think to some extent you are extremely die roll dependent. You don't just fold with this setup in games where you're on the draw like you did in some earlier versions of Simic Flash with a bunch of really, really weak cards in them. But games are certainly harder once you fall back onto the draw. I don't know. I mean, like, I think with the right pairings, this list could go very, very deep. uh, And there's a lot of right pairings around it would just be a scary, scary call for me because I don't think the power level of the deck is there and there might be better ways of doing the same stuff. Uh, we'll see as we move through the tournament. Yep. Uh, all right. Andrew Smith, John Sacrifice. Again, three Massacre Girl, uh, one Casualties main deck, two Casualties in the sideboard. The red is pretty light just for Mayhem Devil and Cinder Vines in the board. And that's it. Not a huge fan of this list. It, it feels a little outdated to me 
in a lot of ways. I just don't think it has accounted for the way the format has changed. And like something like Cinder Vines over Thrashing Brontodon in the main deck, it, it just seems like there's a whole bunch of stuff this deck is not going to have answers for. And we mentioned how Massacre Girl doesn't seem to be great into this field. There's three copies of it in the main deck. And I think this particular build is going to be super reliant to just having an engine, sticking it, letting it run away with the game. But people are all accounting for your engine. Everyone knew this was coming. I don't know how often this particular build is going to be able to achieve those goals. Word. Next up, Antonino DeRosa. Is it Flash? Antonino qualified with Sack, And him and Neil Reeves were working on the deck together. And... I would be surprised if Neil did not have a hand in this deck also, especially since it is very similar to Cuneo's, except has two additional counter spells, which seems like a very Neil thing to do. Yeah, hard counter magic here. Also a couple of big threats on the top end, as opposed to just Max and Godwick. We're looking at a God Eternal Kefnet and a Niv-Mizzet Perun. Haven't seen that card. Is it Perun or Perrin? Uh, I, I believe it's Perrin, but... Okay, whatever. I'm going to call it Perun then. All right. Just, just to tilt everyone who's listening. Cool. Uh, I haven't uh, seen that card in a long time, but seems very powerful. Yeah, another Nim is in the sideboard. And that's one of the cards where it's not super good against a lot of the green-black setups. But if you are expecting mirror matches, well, you're kind of there. You know, you have you have Niv Mizzet, you have two additional counter spells. Like, what more could you possibly want? Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, it seems like Antonino is very well set up for other folks who are trying to do the same type of thing as he is. Uh, moving on to Autumn Burchette, I believe they're playing the same list as Ali. Yes, this looks identical, at least in the main deck to me. Yeah, that appears to check out. Yeah, w- just picture all the, the same stuff that we said about Ali's deck. We just said it again. Next. Yeah, this, this, this deck is great. Next up, Beatriz Grancha, Just Guy Fires. Uh, a little bit more consistent in this list, a lot more four ofs. Seven Cavaliers, two Kenrith, a couple Shimmer of Possibilities, only three Deafening Clarions. That's another one of the, the cards where it's like, if there's not a lot of aggro, what is this card actually doing for you? You know, like maybe you're wiping some of the cat setups or whatever, setting them back a little bit. And then three copies of Justice Strike, which I like in in favor of things like Deafening Clarion, just because it's a little bit better in things like the Mirror Match. I agree. I think Justice Strike has been criminally underplayed in these decks. Good to see the full four amongst main deck and sideboard here. A couple disenchants lurking in the sideboard, a tithe taker. Uh, This is closer to a fires list that I could get on board with. Seems cleaner, more focused. Four Sphinx of Foresight. I I think it's correct. You and I have talked ad nauseum about how you just need fires or your deck is very, very bad. This deck will have fires more often. So as far as your Jeskai fires builds go, I like this one quite a bit more also shout outs to the one quench in the main deck love it so smart open deck list make your opponents account for it and you just get such such value out of an inclusion like that i love seeing those type of concessions to open deck list and small field tournaments yeah i do love that i i would imagine yeah what what is the difference with this tournament versus like the pro tours where like they're displaying all of the sideboard cards instead of just like one of each of the sideboard cards have we talked about this already we may have touched on it in prior episodes when they made the change basically to revealing sideboard cards. I mean, you tell me, you have participated in that mode of tournament. I have not. So I'm curious to hear your take on how it affects your preparation and just the 75 you're going to ultimately present. Well, I'm, I'm just looking at 
Grunch a sideboard and how there's like, you know, one tithe taker is just like, all right, that's that's kind of random. But like if this sideboard were condensed a little bit more, I might think that they had access to like four, you know, if they only showed mm. me that, you know, just one of every card name that they're playing. But sure. yeah, that that's what made me think of it. And then I was like, wait, why are there full sideboards? I just, I don't know. Yeah, this is full reveal. You get the full 75 here. I, I am not sure what the tithe taker is for. I mean, you can play it somewhat successfully against cat oven stuff and make them a little bit more sorcery speed, which is fine ish, uh, not hugely impactful. So not sure on that card. Uh, no, I'm, I I'm not that quench. I'm not mad at the tithe taker. I think the main deck quench is great. I was just thinking like, why would they play one? Oh, maybe the, the deck lists are like this and it's like, but they're all online. Like anyone can look at them. So they're they're right. Everyone is going to know that you only have one, but like that would be kind of a cute thing to do. Right. Or like, you oh, play this, sure. yeah. Yeah, you play this thing that makes it look like you have four in the sideboard, and in reality, you only have the one copy or whatever. Mysteries. That's particularly cool with cards that very much change your entire game plan, like something like Hero of Precinct One. Going back a few formats ago, just having one Hero of Precinct One in your Esper Control sideboard in that scenario really, really changes what your opponents may be accounting for. Like, I don't know if you want to give up a whole sideboard slot for that. You have to believe that that one Hero of Precinct One would also matter somewhere else but it really puts your opponents in the squeeze. Yeah, or something like Legion Warboss, right? Where sure. if, they, if they don't sideboard like you have it, you could potentially just run them over with it. So, Right. Anyway, let's let's move on to what I assume is your favorite deck in the tournament. This is Ben Stark playing Azorius Control. Uh, I believe Efro playing also the same list. 27 land, five total castles, three blue, two white, planar cleansing, time wipe, Borrower, Gadwick, Absorb, Dovin's Veto. You got to love this, right? I want to. I, I want to absolutely love this deck. My experiences with blue-white control were so bad that I was just off it basically immediately. I am not saying this deck is bad. It's very possible that they have identified the problems that I felt and actually took the time to fix them as opposed to me who just gave up. I will say that three planner cleansing seems extremely, extremely smart to me. It's one of the things that really pulled me back to exploring these archetypes, again, I, I focus mostly on Esper, but having three planner cleansing seems very, very good against this field. Thinking about other cards, which seem strong, uh, I love how hard we're getting into Gadwick. The Wizened, this card keeps showing up more and more, and it is very, very powerful, especially in these decks. And you have to mention the three Ether Gust main. As I said, it feels like this really hit the sweet spot, and I think they're going to be rewarded for their risk, because 10% of the field, this card being dead, means that you're getting huge, huge value in so many spots. You've made yourself so much better against fires and a lot of the haymakers from uh, the cat fires decks or from the cat oven decks. So huge, huge plus for including Ether Gust in the main deck. Yeah, I think this list is really good. Ifro posted on Twitter that he thinks his deck is good. It just takes a very long time to win. And mm -hmm. I would agree with that. I tried this before the the last PT and was it was kind of miserable but it makes more sense to play this in an arena tournament than a real life tournament because i think real life you just get a million draws sure yeah you have to win with castle arden bell a lot it definitely comes up and takes a long long amount of time yep. I, I think this deck remains underrepresented on the ladder because of that just because you have to grind out a bunch of your games there are some that you just steal brazen borrower they're rare though it's usually a lot of grinding Yep, agreed. Also worth noting, fourth planar cleansing in the sideboard, just not messing around. Love it. 
Yeah, I think that card's tremendous. Uh, I'll also point to the one finale of Revelation as a way to hard closeout games in a bunch of spots as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that gives you a decent amount of inevitability, especially if your counter spells are alive against your opponent. Mm hmm. All right. Next up, Brad Nelson, Simic Flash. And it should be noted that this is like Flash, but kind of not. There are Nightpack Ambushers and Frilled Mystics, uh, but also three Paradise Druid, two Brazen Borrower, two Hydroid Crisis, four Nissa, 26 Land, Grow Spiral, nine Counter Spells, and two Aether Gusts. That's it. Yeah, we cut all the bad cards. And whereas before you could never, ever win a game from behind under any circumstances, now there's some actual powerful cards here. And maybe that's enough to make this a real deck, whereas previously a deck I hated. But I was drawn to the setups of Frilled Mystic and I pack Ambusher. That seems very, very good right now. Being able to still do that stuff and get access to powerful spells like Nyssa, Hydroid Crisis to go over top of folks. Mm, interesting stuff. A lot of counter magic here. Four mana enchantment, six mana sorceries. Not going to look so good into Brad's open mana. So I'm keeping my eye on it. I've been very low on Simic Flash throughout its existence. This particular build, though, is doing a lot of things I like. Yeah, no, I, I like this build a lot. It is very innovative and looks potentially very, very good. And again, there's there's stuff in Brad's side, but like two chemistry's insights, right? It's like these players are expecting to play against more blue decks, more control decks. Smart read. It, it's proven to be true. There's a lot of blue-red, a lot of green-blue, and also Esper floating around a little bit, blue-white. I think they'll get value from that card for sure. Next up, BBD, Jun Sacrifice, all four ofs, baby. How do you feel about this? So this is something that when I... Actually, the first time I tested basically this exact list, it's crazy how close this is to what I was playing was when someone was asking me what I would do to adapt my deck for best of one play on arena. And I hadn't really oh. given it a lot of thought, but I was like, well, I mean, just make yourself as linear as possible. Make sure you always, always have an engine and jam midnight reaper jam Corvald, and just have tons and tons of card advantage. And I messed around with it a little bit and it was good. I mean, it, it had potential. And I don't know how this is going to line up against what everyone else has done at this point, but I definitely think this tact is something that people should have explored, should have spent some time on. BBD is always going to have access to card advantage. You cannot grind him out. He will be able to play through things like casualties of war very, very effectively, I believe. So in terms of being a step ahead of the metagame, BBD is taking the biggest shot I've seen out of anyone with these Jun Sacrifice lists. This looks totally different from what everyone else is doing, and I buy that it just might work. Uh, I'll be keeping a close eye on this deck list as well. Yeah, also of note, four epic downfalls in the sideboard, only two copies of Casualty of War, and three, three Questing, questing beast. beast. Yeah. Yep, love that too. We talked a little bit last week about how I could see an approach for this deck just really getting aggressive and trying to get under things and not dealing with the whole Casualties of War Merc that you could otherwise get caught up in. So uh, special deck building here. I, I am not 100% sold. I'm not going to say like this is my pick to win the tournament, but this has, again, potential to be like one of the more broken decks in the field. I hope BBD does win and then Corvold becomes his new Obsidad. It has a lot of the same characteristics. Big, expensive, dumb, legendary creature. I am concerned about what happens to the availability and price of Corvald in a world yeah. where we all are just playing four in our decks. But I, honestly, nobody plays Paper Standard anymore anyway, so who cares? Mm, fair enough. 
Next up, Carlos Romao, Jun Sacrifice. Uh, 25 lands, so one more than BBD. A couple Paradise Druids, a couple Thrashing Brontodons, a couple Wicked Wolves, a couple Corvolds, Midnight Reaper, three Casualties. This seems fairly stock compared to yep. what everyone else is doing. Yep, fine and safe and uh, a good deck. Nothing really groundbreaking here to talk about, though. I'm fine moving on if you are. Yeah, Masker Girls in the sideboard. Love it. Yep. Oh, next up, it's our boy, Kavartek. Yeah, I, I like this deck. Golgari Adventurer. Okay, so four Vivian, three Great Henge, 24 land. We talked about the beatdown plan. Chris Kavartek, three Questing Beast, four Rotting Regisaur. I love this, dude. Just just getting the beats on with Vivian Arcbow Ranger. Chris also pushed on Vivian Arcbow Ranger last MC. Right. Playing blue green with Vivian Arcbow Ranger. And you and I have now played that card in a bunch of places, in a bunch of formats. It's powerful. It's messed up. It deserves probably more respect than it gets. And it gets played a lot. But it stretches back to even older formats. You and I have now played it in modern a bunch and been very pleased with it. No, that so, was a mistake. Take that back. No. No, no, no. That card was It was good. bad. I, I still think you're crazy about that. I think having Crater Hoof Behemoth setups is so important. But whatever. That's besides the point. We both love Vivian Arcbow Ranger, especially in this setup. And one of the first things, if you go back to like when we first previewed Throne of Eldraine, the thing we really wanted to do was Great Henge plus Rotting Regisaur. And it only took a ton of bands to finally get us to the point where it's conceivable to do that. But this deck has a lot of nice synergies, a lot of nice pieces that go together very well. And it has a plan. It will get your opponent dead very quickly. But against stuff that is looking to take a more controlling approach, something like blue-white that we saw from Ben Stark, you can grind here. I mean, Great Henge is a very, very powerful engine. You have Planeswalkers as a means of persistent threats. The fact that they're doing planner cleansing stuff and can account for everything that you're doing, it matters a bunch. And it's smart on the blue-white player's part. But you can find ways to grind out little bits of value and really pressure them. So this list seems very, very cool to me. Again, I like the green black adventures decks that are pushing very hard in one direction. And this seems to kind of split the difference and have both poles working simultaneously in a way that doesn't disgust me like the baseline Golgari adventures deck does. Yeah, no, I agree with that completely. And I, I like Chris's take yet again. I think that Going to Rotting Regisaur to go along with Vivian Arcbow and then adding Great Henge at the top of things. I mean, it gives you this really nice, straightforward beatdown plan. And it gives you yet another way to grind on top of Edgewell Innkeeper. So super smart. One of the things I'm learning about Chris's deck building, and I mean, this sounds like a slight, and it, but it's anything but. It is a compliment of the highest order. And that is that his deck building is simple in a lot of ways. It's, it's just efficient. It's smart. It pairs the correct cards together. And you see his list afterwards and you go, oh yeah, well, that's kind of obvious, but nobody does it ahead of time. Like he's the only one doing it. Yep. And I think that's what makes his approach very, very special. Yeah. Love it. Do you know who was the person with the worst odds to win the tournament on Pinnacle? No, I do not. It was Chris Pakula, and he's playing Just Guy Fires. <laughs> Chris, with a lot of friends working over at Pinnacle, having his back very, very hard. <laughs> that's yeah, that's an Cho, interesting little slight to throw his way. Cho was telling me about like a Twitter conversation he saw or something where it was like, oh, yeah, well, like we knew who everyone or we knew who a lot of people were working with. And then Cho was just like, uh, what does that mean? Like, who is Chris working with that like 
made them think that he was such an underdog. And then Chris chimed in and was just like, yeah, I'm working by myself. <laughs> and it's like, damn, cold blooded beats. What beats? Well, I will say for Chris's part, he has come to a list of fires and in, of invention that I'm totally fine with. Like, fine conclusions. I guess I'm a little concerned with how many sweepers there are in the deck. If I'm going to nitpick, uh, I'd rather have fewer than more. Chris has four deafening clarions, one time wipe. But as far as the core stuff, like four Sphinx of Foresight, almost certainly correct. Cavalier numbers all look good. Kenrith looks good. So uh, this setup seems fine, if unexciting. We'll have to see how Chris's plans are and uh, if he can find some magic, some of that old magic to find another PT top eight. Yeah. Uh, next up, Christian Hauk, also playing Jeskai Fires. Pretty similar list to Chris's, actually. Yeah, n- not seen much difference whatsoever, actually. They're they're extremely, extremely close in their decks. I think Christian Hauk is like plus one Prison Realm minus uh, Drawn from Dreams is the quick read I'm making. There might be a couple other differences, but very... It's like also minus a Shimmer. Right, right, right. Very similar list for sure. Not too much else to say about this. I think we've set our part on stock Jeskai Fires. Yeah. Uh, another fun one, Daniel Vega, Sultai Ramp, Paradise Druid, Hydroid Crisis, some Incubation Druids. Haven't seen that card in a while. Three Brazen Borrower, two Gadwick, powering out these cards. Four Circuitous Route, four Gross Spiral, four Nissa, also four Casualties of War. This is a wild deck. This deck is big. I mean, it has a lot of X spells in Hydroid Crisis. Gadwick, the Wizened, is using that mana. It's getting from Securitas Route very effectively. Again, a world with no aggro. This is what decks look like. They get very big. They don't worry about the battlefield. And they have huge, huge haymakers on the top end because you know you're going to get the time to do all your setup stuff. So this, again, seems like a very good read into the field. I know nothing about how this deck plays. I have no experience with it. I'm not going to pretend to. Just looking at it and what it's capable of, it seems fine for the format that showed up. Yeah, I think so too. I'm not completely sold that this is a better version of what Mangushi's doing because mm-hmm. I do feel like you can ramp and then play casualties and still end up losing. Whereas Mangucci is just committed to going over the top and like not really interacting at any point. You know, he's just right. like, yeah, whatever, I'll let you do your thing and then eventually I'll kill you. Uh, and this deck is just like, well, I'm going to try and interact and I'm going to try and draw some cards and, you know, win by casualties in you a bunch. But realistically, I think Finale of Devastation is probably just a better plan than all that stuff. Yeah, the, the question is, how much did folks account for casualties of war? And it's certainly possible that they did their homework. It was not possible to do your homework on the Finale of Devastation setups because that basically didn't exist. But I think a lot of players will have accounted for casualties of war in their deck building. It's still just a default powerful card. There's only so much you can do about having five of your permanents blown up but we will see if it still is an effective endgame for these Sultai ramp decks. Yep, and next up, Dmitry Budakov, Rakdosak. This one is a little on the slower side. No Knight of the Ebon Legion instead has four Claim the Firstborn and four Angrath's Rampage. Uh, This reminds me of the deck that knocked me out of Twitch Rivals uh, in the hands of Preddy. Yeah, it, it looks very, very similar. I will say that when this deck gets its Priest of Forgotten Gods engine going, it feels incredible. Maybe that setup is super strong against things like Simic Ramp, against things that are trying to go a little bit bigger. Um, but it's also soft against all the control decks. So I think if you get paired against a bunch of green mid range, I like this setup. I am not huge against 
control, uh, a bunch of dead cards here. So this deck seems like it's going to need some good pairings to go deep. God, I love this deck so much. Uh, I do think it is a lot better without as many Wicked Wolves in the format. It just means that Priest of Forgotten Gods is able to run rampant a little more often than it used to because sure. it used to be zero effectively. But uh, Budikov does have four Midnight Reapers. Yeah, he's got a bunch of dead cards, especially against things like Blue-White Control. But Claim the Firstborn, Angress Rampage against stuff like Brineborn Cutthroat or whatever. It's like even in the creature light matchups, I think those cards are going to be okay. It okay. is just like actual blue-white control that I'd be very worried about. Yeah, and there's not too much of that in the tournament. Only three players, I believe, playing. So we'll have to see how things go for Budakov. Uh, next up, we have Jun Fires by Ellie Rice. Uh, this deck is wild. Holy crap. Uh, I need a minute to unpack this. Yeah, so four lot, fires of invention. Lot to unpack. Four fires of invention. Some biogenic oozes. Ugin, Casualties of War. Bond of Flourishing. I love that. Main deck, Cry the Carnarium. So, yeah, basically just doing like Jeskai Fires sort of big stuff, Bond of Flourishing as your cantrip, and then that allows you to play Casualties of War on the top end. So, no one drops, no two drop accelerant. You basically start the game on turn three, and so it seems like that should be something I'm knocking but it's really not in this format. I think it's probably okay to start the game on turn three, which is wild to say. And then the hits just keep coming. And I don't know if this is good enough. I have no idea. I won't pretend to, but uh, it accounts for what everyone else is doing. I will say that. And it seems to have made some smart adaptations to the metagame. I am concerned about Cry of the Carnarium. I actually don't think that card is all that strong right now. Although maybe if you catch a bunch of Midnight Reapers, you will prove me wrong. Or unprotected cats. Unprotected cats. Those are rare for the most part. I mean, oh, especially I know. open deck lists. Yep. But if, if it happens, it'll feel real good though. So we'll have to see how that card plays out. And yeah, interesting stuff here. Very, very powerful cards. I am interested as to whether the top end here can actually keep up just because decks do go so huge. So the casualties of war Ugin as your top end seems a little bit smaller than some of the other decks but you can also just get your opponent dead with cavalier of flame and questing beast and that matters right. a lot as well yeah i i think i think what ellie did was you're right where this deck doesn't really do a whole lot on turn two you have bond of flourishing and bone crusher giant you don't really want to be casting assassin's trophy on turn two and cry is the card that she is trying to use to catch back up and it just so happens that there's not a ton of aggro i do think that cry is decent in some of the matchups, like anything with Midnight Reaper, it can be pretty effective. And right. some of the opening draws from the Adventures deck, certainly. But yeah, very, very interesting. I want to see how this deck does. And the next deck, we have Efro, Same 75 as Ben, it looks like. Yep, we've set our piece. Moving on, Esther Trujillo. Is that right? I think so. Trujillo seems, seems good with my very limited knowledge of uh, yeah. Spanish. Uh, I, I believe she won uh, one of the team GPs earlier this year. That that sounds correct to me, yes. Yeah, Gruel Adventures. Uh, we've seen this before. Edgewall Keeper, Pell Collector. Give them the beatdowns. Ember Cleaves at the top. Uh, how do you feel about this right now? I feel like this, this could be decent. And in the vein of Golgari Adventure needing to pick pick a lane, basically, this does a very good job of that. This is as aggressive as we get in this format, right? Like this is 
<laughs> this is the approach you can take to get your opponent dead. This could do a really good job punishing the people who I still think correctly chose not to account for aggro for the most part. Maybe this just has enough power to close out games and enough stretch into the late game with Edgewall and Keeper where you're not just completely dead to the first sweeper. I am not 100% sold that Pelt Collector is a real thing you can do in this format. I have had my issues with these green-red decks throughout. I found one last week that I was pretty high on for a minute where I was playing some Karns, and I did a deck tech over on our YouTube page about that list. And it had some promise. It certainly felt good in a lot of instances. But your card quality is a lot lower than all these decks that are capable of just going huge. I think about something like a Cavalier of Thorns and how scary that card is against this deck. Yeah. You better have your Ember Cleaves ready. So... I don't know. There's a spot to exploit for this deck. You can certainly punish people who, as I said, correctly didn't account for aggro. But you do have to worry about the fact that there's things like main deck Ether Grasp that can really mess up your Embercleave setups. And there's some problems with this list. Will require some favorable matchups, I think, to go deep. And the mana's awkward to top yes, it all off. That I mean, that's the biggest thing about these Gruel decks, and it has remained from the beginning. Your mana base is just horrible. 17 basics is a lot to live through. And next up, we have Frederico Bastos, uh, old-school magic player, Jun Sacrifice, 25 land and two district guide. I love it. Respect. Yeah, district guide is what lets you know that he's an old-school magic player, because that is an old-school card right there. The new Civic Wayfinder. I don't know that you actually needed the card in this deck. It's here now, though. I will say that Paradise Druid routinely underperformed for me recently, and a lot of folks are looking to make a move to get away from it. The way of using District Guide to do so, uh, not bad. You, you certainly want to curve out. You want to be able to make sure you're casting your Korvalds in a timely fashion, and then Casualties of War on the top end really incentivizes hitting those land drops. So you had to account for it in some way. I like the way Canister did it a little bit better. We'll get to that when we get there. Dude, spoilers. Yeah, sorry about that. But still, just basically your solid, solid Jun list. Nothing all that exciting besides the District Guide setup. Yeah, with three Wicked Wolves, I would kind of want Paradise Druid instead, especially since Bastos has uh, Brontodons and Midnight Reapers and Mayhem Devils already in the three drop slot. It seems like pretty crowded. Yeah, for sure. But Paradise Druid being picked off by opposing Midnight Reaper, or excuse me, Mayhem Devils was super problematic. And I was boarding them out in so, so many matchups. And again, that doesn't disqualify it as a card. Like just because you sideboard it out doesn't mean it's necessarily flawed. But the fact that you're able to still function without it points to, okay, maybe I can look for some other solutions. Yeah, no, it's it, it's definitely not great. Moving on, we have Gabe Nassif, Is It Flash? Pretty close to the same deck as Cuneo, if not the exact same deck. Uh, uh, no, no, no Nehebs in the sideboard. Yeah, Cuneo tweeted something about misclicking. I, I think he's just trolling or like trying Always. to make a story. I don't think he actually misclick registered Neheb. But is he trying yeah, to register that, Negate instead? Who knows? That That is the differentiating point between these lists, though. <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> that's pretty awkward if it actually happened. But yeah, I do think that knowing him, likely a troll. Yeah, no way of knowing. The the Cuneo cried wolf, man. It's just <laughs> right. an ongoing saga. Uh, next up, Greg Kowalski, Jun Sacrifice. This list is kind of all over the place. Uh, three Cauldron Familiar, one Corvold, two Murderous Rider, three Paradise Druid, three Wicked Wolf, two Masker Grill, two Midnight Reaper, one Garrick, two Casualties. A little bit of everything, you know? 
hedging a little bit all over the place. Less high on Garrick these days as I previously was, but it is a plan that you have where your opponents don't. The heavier lean on Massacre Girl, we already talked about that, and Wicked Wolf. I don't know if you're going to find all the targets you were looking for for those cards, and this feels old. That's the only way to describe it. I mean, that doesn't mean it's bad. I'm not disqualifying this deck. I think there's a very good chance that it goes deep, but it, it just feels like John Sacrifice did a couple weeks ago, basically. How do you feel about Three Cauldron Familiar? It's interesting. I mean, you, you don't want to draw like multiples in your opener, but you always, always, always want to have one. Yeah. So I, I get the tension. I get wanting to trim it, and I sideboarded it out of copy quite often when I just needed slots. It's like, okay, I can actually bear the cost of just having one fewer Cauldron Familiar. I don't know. I, I'm inclined to play four just because the games where you have it are so different from the games you don't even if you don't want to draw multiples. So we'll have to see how that plays out. Yeah, it's legit. I mean, it also matters how many different sources of card advantage you have. Like any Cauldron Familiar you draw when you have a Midnight Reaper is just not that big of a deal. You know, you can usually mm-hmm. find a way to trade it into a card somehow, but it is very interesting. And I can certainly imagine a lot of like, you know, land heavy hands where you have a Cauldron Familiar and you're just like, God, I wish this was any other card. And yeah. it's not necessary for the deck to function at 100% efficacy. And if you're getting casualties, you're probably not going to have access to a lot of your engine pieces. So yeah, I can see cutting one. Yeah. Uh, Moving on, Isaac Krut, Golgari Adventure for Questing Beast for Casualties. Pick a lane. This is the version I hate, unfortunately. Sorry, Isaac. This is the one that I think is not doing a good job really committing to any plan. And like I said, I I think Chris found a way to do both. That was acceptable to me. This though is not the tact I would take. It doesn't seem like you do any of the games. Well, you get outscaled really hard in the late game by all these decks that are going huge. Your aggression isn't there anymore. So this is the one version I think of Golgari adventures in the tournament that I really do not like. I feel like you can do stuff like play a threat and then play casualties and another casualties and just kind of, you know, nickel and dime them out. But yeah, I would, I would rather have one plan or the other. Right there with you. It is weird to like get them down to 10, have them stabilize. And then you're like, well, I have this casualties and now we're just playing a long right. game where right, I'm drawing right. these beatdown cards. So, uh, next one, uh, Jan Mikonen, also known as Savage playing Rakdos Sack. Uh, this one with some gutter bones. The other one have gutter bones too. Yeah, this is more like Antonino's list from the from the thing. Yeah, leans a little more aggressive. Like I said, this is about as close to aggressive as you can get in this format, but doesn't really do that plan all that well, and certainly doesn't scale into the late game whatsoever. A lot of this looks pretty quaint against what the other decks are capable of in the late game. I think the best games for this deck will be games where it can get aggressive and probably those mean post-board games where it has access to Dreadhorde Butcher, but not thrilled about this particular setup. Yeah, Cavalier and Knight, not something I'm super excited about. Seems low impact in the format. Yeah. Uh, next up, Javier Dominguez demonstrating his range with Simic Flash. Same deck as Brad and Seth. Let's see what y'all got. Let's see if you figured it out. Like I said, interesting approach. It uh, it's it's wild to me. Aren't aren't like Javier and Mangucci just like attached at the hip? Like I know that they don't play the same deck all the time, but like it is weird for them to both play Simic and play like such wildly diverging versions. 
Yeah, I'm interested to hear what their reasoning was for uh, not supporting each other's decks. They do often, they certainly always test together. They often arrive at the same conclusions. So interesting to see them split here. Okay, I don't care about that anymore. I moved on to the next deck list by Jean-Emmanuel de Bra, Teamer Adventurer. Escape to the Wilds, Lucky Clover, main deck Return to Nature. What is this? I've seen this deck floating around a little bit. Uh, <laughs> no, nah, me on too. Ladder. It is and wild, though. It is wild. I don't know if it's good. I have not been impressed by it whatsoever in playing against it. More pick a lane problems, maybe, except there's also just no aggressive lane to have. Like, I don't know. I, I'm just not convinced this appropriately scales into the late game. You don't want to be the smaller mid-range deck. We've talked about that a lot. And maybe I'm undervaluing like Lucky Clover plus Beanstalk Giant as a way of fueling just tremendous, tremendous crises. But I think the blue-green deck of Manguchi is going to do a better job doing this game plan, basically, without as much nonsense. And this has more abilities to account for a wider format, like something like Fae of Wishes certainly gives you many, many more game plans. I just think... Manguchi's approach to uh, a big crisis deck made a hard read on the format and got rewarded for it, whereas this deck tried to hedge a little bit. Yeah, I, basically, when you look at something like Bone Crusher Giant, it's just a little too small ball for what the format is trying to do. And obviously, if you're expecting like some Rakdos Knights or Mono Red or whatever, like you kind of want that amount of interaction. And mm. yeah, I just don't feel like for this tournament specifically, that's where you want to be. It is interesting to me that this is a Fae of Wishes Lucky Clover deck that doesn't have Fires of Invention. So you normally see like the big six mana cards to Fae of Wishes for, whereas the Pra's sideboard is just like all these cheat cards, you know, because you're just doing Fae of Wishes the hard way. Yeah, fling in the sideboard. That's going to get someone with Beanstalk Giant for sure. Yeah. And then, I mean, you have like these infi setups with Plain Wide Celebration and Once in Future. So this, this deck's weird. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I'm underestimating how much that stuff scales together, or you can just do that forever. I don't know. I feel like you do that stuff, and then you just get raise board or whatever. So Right, 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 right. Yeah, smaller version of the, of the mid-range deck is my concern. Yes. Uh, next deck, Is It Flash by by Jess Estefan. Uh, three Gadwick, one Spectral Sailor, nine Counterspells. Like two shock, whereas uh, the Pantheon folks have Scorching Dragonfire. Jess also has 26 land. Pretty similar sideboard. No Skargan Hellkites or whatever. But yeah, overall, like pretty similar. Yeah, looks about the same to me. I am curious to hear the story of the one Spectral Sailor and how it made the cut. It's good with Gadwick because it's a one mana flash card. That is accurate. I will give you that. Um, <laughs> That's all I got. I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe it is that simple. But yeah, we've talked about this deck a bunch. I, I think it's fine. Uh, nothing really distinguishing this particular build from the other ones we've talked about. All right, next deck, John Rolf. Uh, this one is labeled as Rakdos Fires. Does Rolf has does Rolf have the coolest deck in the tournament? No, but it's close. It's it's very very close for me. This is another one that's been making the rounds recently. Uh, it's a Ben White's who, deck, right? Yeah, I, I think that's correct. I think that's right has seen some play on ladder and is just doing a really nice job finding lethal and closing the game quicker than the average fires of invention deck does. So I don't have any games under my belt with this, but you see the explosive potential mayhem devil plus God eternal bond man. That has to feel so good. Yeah. 
Fireball. Midnight Reaper, Cauldron Familiar, Witch's Oven, Four Bontu, Four Cavalier of Flame, Mayhem Devil, Storm Fist Crusader, and then two copies of Covetous Urge, which makes John play Steam Vents over Mountains. And then two more Covetous Urge in the sideboard. Why? I think this card is good. Like, why? I've tried this in a bunch of my decks, and I, I think it's just fine, especially in a format where, like, things are huge and there's a lot of opportunities to just take incredibly, incredibly impactful spells from your opponent, get card advantage, and then turn their own weapons against them. I am sure there will be casualties of war cast by this Covetous Urge for sure. Sure. Uh, I, I guess if you're expecting like fires, mirrors, this is the best thing, right? Like you thought sees theirs sure. and then you just get to cast one and kind of go off. Yeah, then you, that like, seems great to me. You just get smashed by Teferi, but whatever. No, no, they won't have it. Don't worry about it. Um, okay, <laughs> we talked a bunch about like the ability of Chris Kavartek's deck to split lanes effectively. It's usually a criticism we levy at decks, uh, but when it's done well, it can be really impressive. I think it's done well here. I think this deck has access to multiple game plans and also just like, oops, you're dead setups, which is a nice, nice place to be in this format. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of what you want to be doing with the Rakdos decks, right? Where it's like they have kind of like this early-ish beatdown plan, but they don't scale well enough and they're just going to get buried by the bigger decks. Whereas this deck scales quite well, you have a fireball finish and you also have like these really explosive mid-game turns with fires. So, I mean, I, I feel like this deck could actually just be a real thing. Let's see how it does. I'm rooting for you, John Rolf. Always rooting for you, especially now that you have this weird deck with Covetous Urge. I don't know what happened, but it is what it is, I suppose. Uh, John Girado, Teamer, Reclamation, some Borrowers, some Bone Crushers, some Niv Mizzets, uh, Wilderness Rex, some main deck Counterspells, also main deck Scorching Dragonfire and Flame Sweep. I hate this deck. I, I am so sorry, John, but <laughs> Wilderness Reclamation in this format makes no sense to me. I don't know how people keep ending up here. There's the argument that like, oh, if everyone is doing big stuff, then Wilderness Reclamation can outscale it. I don't buy that. I think the way the other big decks are accounting for this deck is totally fine. I think enchantments are something people are accounting for in all their deck building. Even if you're not accounting specifically for Wilderness Reclamation, you're probably going to catch it by accident. Things like Aether Gust are super strong against Wilderness Reclamation, and you're not even like playing that card in contemplation of Wilderness Reclamation. There's just no good approach for these decks right now, and I've been so underwhelmed by them in the post-band format. Yep, uh, mostly agree with all that. I think the games where you do have Wilderness Reclamation, you're ahead of most things, but ha like finding it, resolving it, keeping it on the battlefield, those things are all very, very difficult, especially in a field where a lot of people are main decking Aether Gust, and I'm actually surprised that John himself is not main decking Aether Gust. It's hard for me to understand how you convince yourself that Wilderness Reclamation is better than Fires. And it's not even like I'm that high on Fires. It's just I don't see what it offers strategically that Fires does not. I mean, I guess like more interactive spells is what you're saying. Like Mystical Dispute and Negate are good enough that I'm willing to do this setup. But I just don't buy it. And your deck is very inconsistent and does not function without Wilderness Reclamation whatsoever. Yeah. Next up, Jordan Cairns, buddy of mine. From Vancouver area, Golgari Adventure. Talked to him a little bit before this tournament. Uh, kind of doing similar stuff to Kavartek, actually. Two Great Henge, three Rotting Regisaur, but also has uh, only two Questing Beast. Two, also has a couple Epic Downfalls, one Return to Nature. So mostly the stuff that we like. 
Yeah, it looks like reached the same conclusions. Maybe didn't commit quite as hard as Chris did, but I still think this deck is set up fine. I, I don't know if I want to praise the one return to nature here. Like, I love one ofs in the main deck, but this is one that doesn't really change your opponent's play pattern whatsoever. I think it's a fine card. Like, I don't hate it as a card. It's just less exciting as a one of that can really mess with your opponent. Although Rankle is doing a little bit of that, but it's almost like not enough to force people to ever account for it. Like, they won't even right. consider it because it's so hard to play around in a lot of ways. Like, it's just going to do its thing regardless. So I don't I don't think it's there as a gotcha. It's just like, yeah, just like, oh, I just want, like, a disenchant in my deck or, like, you know, the rankle, too. Uh, I will say that uh, Jordan was the only person I was able to convince on drill bit, and he only has one drill bit and three duress. <laughs> that's a, a token drill bit for you, Jerry, just so you know. You know he respects yeah, your me. input, but he's not willing to commit. Yeah, that drill bet is is cousin me. I'm taking full Love credit it. for that. Next up, Cat Light, Golgari Sacrifice. Another three Cauldron Familiar. I like this. Yeah, seems to be a trend. Yeah, three Masker Girl, a couple Wicked Wolf, a couple Brontodons, four casualties at the top end. You know, Cat has a plan. She's sticking to it. Appreciate that. Ooh, drill bit in the sideboard. Love it. There you I'm go. In. Hard commitment to drill bit. Yeah, we talked about green black a bunch. Not really too much else to say on it. Yep. Oh, my God. Yeah, here you go. This is the one you've been waiting for. Oh my god. Ken Yukihiro, my man. Ken Yukihiro Hall of Fame 2020. Five Color Fires, Gilded Goose, Paradise Druid, four Niv-Mizzet Reborn, four Teferi, four Casualties, three Escape to the Wild. Oh my god, Ken. You genius. Going real hard in the Niv-Mizzet endgame. I, I have no idea what to make of this deck. It popped up last week. The first place I saw it was... From Zvi, we talked about it a little bit on the cast last week, actually. Yeah, I, I don't know. Have you have you played with this deck? Do you have any read on how good it actually is? Because it looks powerful as hell. Uh, dude, I still don't have access to my arena account. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Not that I would awesome have played thing anyway. To be for fair. the host of arena decklist to say, I still can't get on. Look, arena. man, I look at all the decklists. I pay attention. I was talking to people leading up to the tournament. I just have not played very many games myself. Uh, at least of arena, I've been playing a decent amount of Pioneer, making good use of that card hoarder loan account that's a fine approach i have a i have an article this week on pioneer post bans for the best deck in pioneer so come on man i'm doing work i i know you're out here working hard i know you love pioneer right now it's just funny to me i guess i should note like the list that's v posted was uh cat oven deck this is not that this is just focused on the fires plan escape to the wilds plus fires is weird a lot of my early fires deck had this setup and it was like tension filled is the best way to describe oh. it. Oh yeah. It's like kind of good, but kind of not. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what to make of that. I love Niv-Mizzet Reborn actually being a thing in standard. I can't wait to watch this deck in action. I hope, 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 hope it's good enough to compete. What do you think? Does the end game scale hard enough? I mean, here's a casualties yes. of war deck that actually gets you dead which I think is important. The huge body of Niv-Mizzet will pay dividends for Ken throughout the entire tournament. Right, and Niv can draw four cards, basically. You have uh, six blue-green, four green-black, four blue-white, three red-green. Mm -hmm. And then the sideboard has four D-Spark and four Deputy, also like some Tulsimirs or whatever. But I, I, I think Niv is not going to draw you like six cards, but it's going to draw you three super powerful ones. 
Yeah, the good ones. And that's a nice approach to take to Niv. I think you get yourself in trouble when you try and maximize it to its absolute fullest. Just find the cards you need. And Niv is going to hit casualties of war over and over and over. And if that's good against your opponent, you will run away with the game. Can you genius? I love it. Oh, no. Oh, no. Disaster. Kenji Egashira, New Matanami, Teamer Reclamation, Say It Ain't So. Big Kenji fan. Less of a fan of Kenji's deck, unfortunately. I'm pulling for you, Kenji. I, I hope you prove me wrong. Still hate this deck. Listen, at least Kenji has 27 land and four Arboreal Grazer. I do like that approach. Yeah, I mean, you're doing your Wilderness Reclamation stuff ahead of time, which is fine-ish. It's still going to do almost nothing most of the time. Like I said, I, I really want to be wrong about this one. I just don't see the appeal of this deck at all, though. New mod for Rivals 2020. I'm pulling for him. Me too. Uh, next up, Azorius Control from Kohei Yoshino. Uh, two Agent of Treachery, two Gadwick, four Planar Cleansing, one Mass Manipulation, four Dovin's Veto. Good lord. This is I, nice. I believe Planar Cleansing is a good card in this format. And if that is true, uh, I really like the way Yoshino is set up for this tournament. Yeah. Yeah, I like it a lot. Apostle I Apostle mean, of Purifying Light in the sideboard. Yeah, it's just like Recto Sack and then maybe the Knight's deck. I think that that's mm -hmm. a, a pretty reasonable consideration. So sure. like that a decent amount. Sideboard has a lot of good utility. Disenchant, Giant Killer, Deputy Detention, Aether Gust, Dispute, another Mass Manip. Like, this deck could be nice. And then next deck, uh, another Drone Sacrifice deck from Lishi Chan. Three Casualties of War, two Paradise Druid, two Midnight Reaper, two Corvold, three Wicked Wolf, two Brontodon, 25 land. A couple of Temple of Maladies hanging out. Yeah, fine-ish. Nothing super interesting to report on here. Duress instead of drill bit. Hate it. <laughs> That's the only thing Jerry's looking for anymore. He just wants those drill bits. No, I I'd honestly scrolled down and I was like, wait a second. Scrolled back up and was like, damn it. I'm, I'm just disappointed. <laughs> All right. Uh, Lucas, Esper, Berthoud, Simic, Ramp. Uh, yeah, 28 lands. One Gilded Goose, one Quasi Duplicate. So that's the differential between him and Manguchi, I guess. Yeah. And then yeah, we set our piece. different sideboard, the maybe. Setup looks good. Yeah. All right. I'm rooting for Lucas and not Manguchi. I want Lucas to make my Cavaliers go up. Okay. As long as someone does it, that's all I care about. I just like Lucas. How do you not like Lucas? You know? I like Lucas as well. I am rooting for both players who have chosen a very awesome deck. They can they can share my rooting interest equally. All right. Fair enough. Uh, next up, Luis Salvato, Sultai Ramp. This is the Circuitous Route Casualties of War double Demir Guildgate deck. Yep. Yeah, Luis was the first person I saw talk about this deck on his Twitter feed. It looks cool. We'll, we'll see if it gets the job done. Everything remains from our last discussion of it. Yep. Marcelino Freeman's Just Guy Fires, four Fae of Wishes, three Sphinx of Foresight, four War Boss, two Sorcerer Spyglass in the sideboard, and then all one ofs. Same as the other Fires list. Next. One Justice Strike, though. Uh, next up, Marcio Carvalho, Junsek, uh, 25 lands, two district guide. Okay, so maybe maybe that was not a Bastos thing. It was a, a Marcio thing. Okay, people coming around to that way of thinking. Interesting, interesting approach. Mono three drops. Golgari Sacrifice from Martin Yuza, friend of the cast. Four Cauldron Familiar, interesting. Four Midnight Reaper, three Wicked Wolf. A Massacre Girl of Raska, two casualties, one Bolus Citadel. I like that. Yeah, I haven't seen much of that card in this archetype, but it seems strong. 
and another on the board too. What do you think about what Martin's doing here? Because I, I, it seems to me like we're not even trying to get to that huge top end that a lot of people shifted to green black for. Uh, there's only two copies of Casualty of War. There's the one Bolus's Citadel. I am interested as to how he arrived at this particular deck list. It seems like an approach that is leaning really hard on Midnight Reaper more than other green black lists I've seen maybe. Yeah, agreed. Uh, that's That's kind of like the antithesis to Martin's approach. Like if mono red is decent, he'll play like big red Eldrazi or whatever, you know, like he, he was one of the people who popularized the Jeskai fires deck, for example, like he loves doing like the big splashy things. And he's kind of doing some of it here with casualties and bullets to Citadel. But like, this is a much leaner deck list than I would expect from Martin. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a little struck by it. Abstractly, not the biggest fan. I know Martin to be very thoughtful with all of his choices. I'm very curious as to how we ended up on this particular list. Uh, I'm sure he will he will tell the story at some point. Yeah, two duress, no drill bit. I'm off it. Next deck, Ooh. Matt Nass, Jeskai Fires, 27 land, all normal stuff. Yeah, nothing uh, two ether, Two ether gusts, one justice strike. Cool, dude. Hope you win. Uh, Miguel Guerrero Leon, Team of Reclamation, Frilled Mystic. I like that. Yeah, I at least like that card. For Escape to the Wilds. Yeah. I mean, well, that's like the Chris Patello version. Okay. Chris Chris was playing a ton of Escape. He, he, I don't remember him ever having Frilled Mystic, but... All right. It's not enough to make me not hate this deck, but there are at least better yeah. cards here. Yep. Uh, Miguel, the Cruz, Samoas, Jun Sacrifice, Three Brontodon, love it, Wicked Wolf, Pretty sure that card's medium. Again, two district guides. So I don't know. Maybe working with Marcia. Yeah, seems like it. Mike Sigrist, Just Guy Fires. Why, Siggy? Why would you do this to yourself? Playing the same deck as Madness. Yep, same list, same 75, as far as I can tell. Uh, Mimi Arthur, Golgari Adventurer, same deck as Autumn and Alley. Looks good. Clover, let's get it. Uh, Paula Vitor Domodorosa, Just Guy Fires, same as Nass and Siggy. Cool. Uh, another Just Guy Fires, Pierre Velo, Three Sphinx of Foresight. Why? Why? Play the full four. Get your fires on time. That's how you win games. Six sweepers here. Probably unnecessary given this field. Ooh, I like this, though. Two Gadwicks in the sideboard. That's probably pretty nice. Okay. A little capacity to go big. And a Crush Contraband. Sure. Going to have to look at that card because I don't know what it is. Four mana, Disenchanted, one of each. Uh... I, I don't know if that's what we're looking for here. I mean, it's not great, but it's it's a magic card. That is true. I will not take that away from you. Pearson Laughlin, Golgari Sacrifice, 25 land, two Midnight Reaper, three Brontodon, two Vraska, four Casualties, one Massacre Girl. Really not messing around as far as like the Brontodons and Casualties are concerned, so I do like that aspect. Sideboard has four Rotting Regisaur, and three shifting ceratops, so like definitely cool. has the ability to shift gears, which is sweet. yeah, I, I like that. So yeah, I mean this this list is solid. I'm not mad at this list, other than duress instead of drill bit and the masker girl main. Yeah, doing a good job with a, a change them up sideboard plan. I think that's important, and we know the stock version of this deck is fine. It's it's fine. It's going to not blow away the field, but I like having a little wrinkle in the sideboard. Uh, next up, canister. 
Piotr Glogowski, Jun's Sacrifice, Beanstalk Giant instead of Paradise Druid. Tell me all about it. Yeah, so like I said, Paradise Druid, a bit of a liability in a bunch of spots, especially now when we're dealing with like a post-planner cleansing world where that's another card you have to account for. Being able to make sure you are ramping without having to put your creatures on the battlefield can be very, very impactful when opponents are accounting for what you're doing now. And I think this is just going to guarantee the ability to cast those four casualties of war. And when you're committing that hard, make damn sure you're going to cast them. Canister has done a nice job of doing that with the three Beanstalk Giant. And I do think like it being a threat that is just going to sit in exile forever will come up quite often. You need closing power in some spots. Usually you have an engine going. As people have gotten better at dealing with your engines, sometimes you just need that last haymaker to put you over the edge. Beanstalk Giant can fill that role as well. So this seems like a nice approach to the Jund list. And has your uh, your boy Deathless Knight hanging out in the sideboard there too. I do like that card. And I've seen a few people with this in their sideboard. I'm not a, a really big fan of it though. What do you think about it against just like Blue-White Control? It seems like a nice little change up there. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. I'm not sure if it's better than even a Ceratops would be, but maybe it is. Okay. I feel like their job is to just blow up all your stuff anyway, and then you're not really going to have stuff to gain life to return the knight, but I don't know. Mysteries. Rip that cauldron familiar off the top. Oh, yeah. Raymond Nevison, Simic Flash. This is classic version of the deck, although it does still have Gross Spiral and three copies of Nyssa, 25 land. Uh, oh, Gilded Goose, too. So, yeah, maybe maybe hmm. not that normal. Yeah, finding different ways to accelerate, which makes sense. I think that's important for this archetype. And Raymond Nevison finds himself in very, very good company alongside people who have chosen to play Simic Flash in this tournament. So maybe they're onto something. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of about this. Brineborn Cutthroat, I mean, Raymond cut one of them. It, it feels like he's well on his way to just cutting all of them, you know, because mm -hmm. there's 13 instants and then like, uh, you know, obviously the flash creatures count, but it's like not really what you want to be doing on turn two with this deck. So yeah, maybe it's time to move away from that card. Could be. Ray Sato, Jeskai Fires, all four ofs on uh, the creatures, except for two Kenriths, three Teferi Time Raveler. I'm not sure I buy that. And a Prison Realm with Solar Blaze, Deathling Clarion. Uh, Cyborg has three Tithe Takers. Cool. Still fires. Nothing exciting to report on. Uh, next up, Reed Duke, Golgari Adventure, three Lucky Clover, four Casualties of War, four Beanstalk Giants. So Reed going pretty heavy, actually. I like the top end in Reed's deck. Uh, one Liliana Dreadhorde General, one Fine Finality. Seems like those will be very helpful in playing these longer games that this deck will probably get priced into in a lot of instances and a way to leverage mana that you're getting, getting from Beanstalk Giant as well. Playing those cards ahead of time can often be quite impactful. So nice little grabs here from Reed on the top end. Some one-ofs. I, I think Fine Finality is a good one-of too in that mode of your opponent has to account for it. Assuming there were right. decks that were like trying to go super wide. There basically aren't, but it'll still be a decision point for people to account for as these games are played. Yeah, I also like the fact that Reed is playing three Castle Lockthwain. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Important card, important source of card advantage for sure. And this is a deck where I actually approve of Duress instead of Drill Bit because there's no like Smitten Swordmaster or Cauldron Familiar or anything like that to actually get in chip damage. Right. So. Yeah, that seems like the big difference from Reed's list versus the other Golgari Adventure Lucky Clover builds that are floating around the exclusion of Smitten Swordmaster. Yep. 
Ronald Mueller, Jeskai Fires, Normal AF. Yup. Seth Manfield, Simic Flash, same as Brad and Javier. Yep. Shahar Shanhar, Is It Flash, same as Cuneo and Nasif. Correct. Uh, also known to Heb, so interesting. The plot thickens. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe this story is starting to gain some credibility. Oh, my word. Uh, Shota Yasoka, Five Color Fires. It's like Ken's deck, except it has Golos, Golos. instead yeah. of Niv-Mizzet? Yeah. I, I mean, this is this is wild. This is a wild, wild deck. I don't even know how good Golos is here. I'm sure it's fine. It's hard for Golos to be bad. You will get plenty of activations. And you were already doing stuff with your mana base anyway to account for like being able to use Kenrith really effectively. So... Uh, is it worth stretching your mana this far? I have no idea. But you're Beanstalk Giant in any way, so maybe. Maybe it's enough. Well, if the alternative is Niv, I mean, it's kind of the right. same thing, except like Golos helps you fix. It is worth noting that this deck is labeled as 60-15, but Golos is in artifacts and creatures. I'm not sure if that if those numbers add up. Yeah, I don't know either. Uh, yeah, it just has Golos yes, listed it's six, twice. It's 64 so cards. It's, it's, yeah, I was wondering if there's like Escape to the Wilds or whatever, but yeah, Golos, Fires of Invention is like another one of those things where it's like kind of a combo, but not really. Right. Oh, we saw, certainly saw those cards played in conjunction with one another. Uh, and you know how powerful it is to just put a Golos on the battlefield and immediately activate. So, Yeah, that's certainly true. Uh, Simone, Rakuto, Simic Ramp, Cavalier of Thorns, Agent of Treachery, Voracious Hydra, couple incubation incongruities or return to nature a mass manip two quasi duplicates like this deck is kind of wild but uh way more creature heavy than Mangucci's version mm-hmm. missing that so, finale of devastation endgame unfortunately and I, I do think that is like a really big breakthrough point for this archetype yeah instead playing a little bit more of a, a small ball game plan with voracious hydras and I feel like that is just not going to get the job done a lot of the time. Like this deck is going to be able to stabilize behind Cavalier of Thorns, but then maybe not really be able to convert that. So it's definitely an issue. Yeah, I could see them having trouble closing games against particularly Cat Oven decks. Ooh, okay. The, the plot thickens even more. Stanislav Sifka, Gugari Sacrifice, two casualties, one bullet to Citadel. I'm on to you, Martin Juza. Okay, something going on here. I feel like Martin just... Uh, Went with the check house, you know? It's been a that's very, why very deck is so lean. Very good strategy as of late. So I, I can't fault him for taking that approach. Yeah, and then we have Steven Croak, uh, aka Crokey's uh three cauldron familiar, four casualties of war. I mean, he's he's been streaming this deck a ton, right? And like was pretty upfront about everything that was going on and what he was doing. So Yeah. And props to him for taking that approach, being super loyal to his viewer base, and uh, certainly rooting for Crokey's to have a nice performance at this PT. Same. Respect. So three calls are familiar likely came from him then. Could be. That would just be my guess. Uh, Recto Sacrifice from Teruya Kakume. This is Cauldron Familiar, Witches Oven, Mayhem Devil, but also Stormfist Crusader, Rixmati Reveler, uh, Claim the Firstborn, Four Rankle, no Angress Rampage or any of that nonsense. So I, I like this take. This like Stormfist Crusader is a little bit more aggressive, and I feel right. like that is basically what this deck needs. Right. 
Yeah, slanting a little bit more aggressive, I think, is the way to go for Rakdos Sacrifice because you're not going to be occup occupying the mid and late game as well as the other cat oven decks can. And now that there's decks designed to go over top of even those, I think it's a really bad position to put yourself in to rely on your somewhat more mediocre engine. You just got to get your opponent dead. This will do the job in a lot of instances. Sideboard four rotting Regisaur, three duress, and two drill bit. Love it. So easy to please Jerry these days. Just put a drill bit in your deck. He'll be very happy. Yeah, pretty much. Teo Motier, Golgari Sacrifice, 26 land. I like that. Three casualties, three cauldron familiar, so pretty similar to Crokey's. Yep, nothing to really report on here. Pretty stock. More Deathless Knights. Uh, Tien Famun, Jeskai Fires. Normal. Next. That's well, we only have one deck left. Oh, still, still next. I have nothing to say about Jeskai Fires anymore. I've said my piece. Uh, William Jensen, is it Flash? Two Skargan Hellkites in the board. No Nehebs. I, I just don't know. I, we have to get to the bottom of the Neheb situation. I mean, I've played that card before. It's fine ish, sort of, kind of. Seems pretty bad. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to believe it was the best possible option when you look, look at all the sideboard cards available to you, but maybe there's something going on that I just don't know about. Regardless. So here's I the question. Here's the question. If Cunio did actually misclick, which I don't believe he did, but if he did, do you ever board the card in? It's totally possible. You could find a spot where it's good. I mean, once you're committed, you may as well figure out, can I get some value out of this card in any spots? Yeah, I don't, this is a wild story. I don't know what to make of this. I have a feeling we will see Neheb on the battlefield at some point if we get to watch a lot of Cunio games. He's trolling. He's going to side in against everyone. It's going to. It's probably going to be <laughs> just bad. always there. Love it. Uh, but that's it. Did we? Did we even take questions this week? No, we didn't take any questions, Jerry. I find a question. I mean, just see what people are talking about. <laughs> we'll talk about that. I didn't even think about it being in London. So, yeah, I didn't think about it either until just right now. Maybe there's a question that's been languishing in the channel for a while that we should be talking about. I mean, there there are five questions, but I'm not going to reward the people for asking questions outside of normal. Okay. I, I respect that. You know, I have this issue with my wife where obviously I love pizza. I eat pizza quite often. And every time we get pizza my dog just goes berserk. He's like, and he's a very well-trained dog. He generally like respects when people are eating he shouldn't be bothering them but if you're eating pizza he very quietly and respectfully sits next to you and just stares at you the entire time and only yeah. with pizza does he do this but my wife has also given him her pizza crust basically since he's been mm. a puppy but she'll still yell at him and be like kai you can't be here go lay down and i'm like you've given him every pizza crust ever why would he not be here expecting that you would do it one more time. So this is exactly that yeah. principle. We can't reward these questions. You have to ask them at the prescripted time, even if we're too stupid to ask them when we're supposed to. Okay. I like that. I feel like <laughs> that is a good way to close the podcast. <laughs> That's it. That's game. That's game. Good luck.